0: Thank you for downloading Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, an exploration of the book of Samuel. This series is a production of North America in partnership with the Corn Podcast Network and is lovingly sponsored by the Neustein family in memory of Rabbi Dr. Joseph Neustein for his fourth yard site. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening. And now, Michael Hatton. Welcome back everyone, this is Michael Hatton in Jerusalem, and this is our Pardes podcast on Sefer Shemuel. Last time we read chapter 14, where we were introduced to Jonathan and his heroic exploits. Remember that Jonathan had attacked the Philistine garrison, and later on in chapter 14, had mounted a single-handed attack on the Philistine encampment. Accompanied only by his loyal servant boy, he had entered the Philistine encampment and began to wreak havoc. The Philistine camp was thrown into panic, chaos ensued, and eventually, with the help of Shaul, the Philistines were completely routed. In chapter 14, Jonathan showed himself to be a capable leader, completely prepared to take initiative courageous and unafraid, and imbued with a deep trust in God and in God's salvation, leadership and charisma, such that his servant boy was prepared to embark with him upon a mission which seemed to be hopeless, but in the end was blessed with success. As Yonatan put it, there is nothing to prevent God from saving, whether with many or with a few. In last chapter, Yonatan basically was presented as a mirror image to his father Shaul. Shaul's lack of initiative, Shaul's lack of self-confidence, Shaul's inability to inspire the people around him now come to the fore once again in chapter 15. Chapter 15 begins with a command. Shemuel turns to Sha'ul and says, God has sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. And now you must listen to the word of God. Thus says God, the Lord of hosts, I remember what Amalek did to Yisrael when they came out of the land of Egypt, Amalek ambushed them and attacked. Shemuel now announces to Sha'ul that he has been given a mission from God. And that mission is to attack and to destroy Amalek. Obviously, there is a lot of background to this moment in the Hebrew Bible. And while we will not investigate all of it, two references are critical. The first is, of course, from Exodus chapter 17. That describes the attack of Amalek on the people of Israel When they left the land of Egypt, Exodus 17 describes how the Israelites had entered the wilderness and they were attacked unprovoked by Amalek. In the end, Yehoshua was able to defeat them with the help of Moshe's miraculous intervention. When Moshe raised his hands, the Amalekites were defeated. When his hands were lowered because they were too heavy, the Amalekites prevailed. Eventually, his hands were supported by Aharon and Hur, and the people of Israel prevailed. And God announced at that moment, I will surely erase the memory of Amalek from underneath the heavens. In Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 25, we get a fuller moral picture of the issue. And in that particular section, we discover not only did Amalek attack the Israelites unprovoked, but he focused his attack on the weak and on the exhausted people that struggled at the rear of the camp, almost like a predatory animal. Amalek selected out those that were least fit, so to speak, and destroyed them. Ultimately, for Amalek, there is really only one law that exists, and that law is survival of the fittest. Moral calculations mean nothing. In Devarim chapter 25, Amalek is described as lacking that particular quality, which is often the engine for moral behavior, and that is yirat elokim, reverence or fear of God, which is to say, when I have the power to execute vengeance, but I exercise restraint, not because I am incapable, but because I recognize I, a higher law, that is called yirat elokim. So Amalek is described as not possessing yirat elokim in Devarim chapter 25, And therefore, God says, when you enter the land, Erase, wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. Do not forget. All of that is important background for our particular story. So we have reached the moment. The Israelites are now settled in the land. And now they have a king which rules over them. This is the moment when the divine command first enunciated in Exodus 17 and Deuteronomy 25 is to be fulfilled. As the rabbis put it in Tractate Sanhedrin, Shalosh Mitzvot Yisrael the people of Israel were given three commands to be performed when they enter the land of Israel: Limnot lahem Melech to appoint for themselves a king to destroy Amalek, and to build the temple. These are all, of course, national mitzvot. And Shaul, as the king of Israel, is now charged by Shemuel to fulfill this ancient command. And now Shaul will go about doing precisely that. The text reports in verse number four that Shaul summoned the people and he numbered them, 200,000 fighters were assembled with 10,000 of them hailing from the tribe of Yehudah. This is an echo, of course, of the events reported in the battle against Nahash the Ammonite back in chapter 11, where Shaul had also summoned the people and brought them together. So it seems as if Shaul is doing exactly what he has been commanded to do. Verse number five, he comes to the city of Amalek. And he attacks and he fights and he strives in the valley. Okay, even as he does so, he warns the Canaanites to leave the vicinity of Amalek, lest they be destroyed in the ensuing battle. Just to close the circle here, the Canaanites are descendants of Yitro. The story of Amalek's attack in Exodus 17 was followed by the story of Yitro's visit to the Israelite encampment in chapter 18. There is a question as to what exactly the chronology of the events is, but clearly the Torah wants us to link the two. Non-Israelite responses to the Exodus from Egypt, Amalek attacks and Yitro embraces. Now that the command to destroy Amalek is about to be fulfilled, Shaul warns the descendants of Yitro to distance themselves from Amalek lest they be harmed in the ensuing battle. Just to point out, Amalek is a nomadic tribe. Their range basically is the area of the Negev and the Sinai and they are a, a tribe of marauders. We know that from various places in the Hebrew Bible, that effectively how they survive is by attacking those that cross their path or mounting attacks on settled areas as required. So Amalek basically is a predatory tribe. That's how they survive in the wilderness. And the Canaites descendants of Yitro are also nomadic, but of course have a completely different way of doing things. Shaul smites the Amalekites in verse number seven throughout their territory where they range and Agag, their king, is captured alive. The rest of the people are put to the sword. But verse number nine reports that Shaul and the people spared the king Agag. They did not kill him and they spared the best of the sheep and the oxen and the fatlings and everything that was worthwhile and precious, they did not want to destroy it as God had commanded. But everything else that was less valuable and of no account, they destroyed utterly. Just to note, verse number nine says, Vayachmol Sha'ul <laughs> Sha'ul and the people had compassion for agag and for the best of the spoils. And this, of course, flies directly in the face of the command that Shmuel offered to Sha'ul back in verse number three, strike down Amalek, utterly destroy them, and have no compassion whatsoever. So the text is actually reporting, in spite of the fact that Sha'ul seems to be following the playbook in terms of mustering the people, in terms of entering the battle, in terms of attacking and destroying the enemy, actually he is at the same time contravening God's command by allowing Agag, the king of Amalek, to live and by sparing all of the best of the spoils and the best of the animals. And God's response to Shemuel is quick in coming I regret the fact that I made Shaul king because he turned back from following me and he did not perform my commands. Significantly, Shemuel's response, verse 11, he cried out to God all of that night, a sure indication that Shemuel is not at all happy that Shaul has failed. Although Shemuel has had Harsh words for Shaul and he has rebuked him as we have seen back in chapter 13 when Shaul offered the sacrifice without waiting for Shemuel. It is nevertheless Shemuel's desire that Shaul succeed. And therefore now that God has announced his intense displeasure, Shemuel is completely overwhelmed and cries out to God all that night, the next morning. Shemuel goes to meet Shaul to confront him. Shaul was busy setting up a monument, presumably to celebrate his victory, and he had gone down to Gilgal, where of course they had had their incredibly tense meeting back in chapter 13. Shemuel comes to Shaul, and Shaul now utters the first words when he meets him, verse number 13. And this is what he says, Baruch ata Lashem hakimoti et Hashem. Blessed are you to God, Shemuel, I have fulfilled the commandment of God. So the first thing that Shaul says to Shimuel, even though the narrator has reported that he has strayed from the divine command, Shaul insists, blessed are you to God, I have fulfilled the word of God and the ensuing conversation is absolutely striking. Shemuel will respond and Shaul will respond and Shemuel will respond and Shaul will respond and all the while Shaul will deflect blame and refuse to take responsibility. We saw the kernel of this particular character flaw Back in chapter 13, when Shaul had offered the sacrifices before the time that Shemuel had designated, before Shemuel's arrival, and Shaul blamed everyone but himself. And now a similar thing ensues. So Shaul says, blessed are you to God, I have fulfilled the word of God. Shemuel responds very sarcastically, if you have fulfilled the word of God, why do I hear the sound of sheep? Why do I hear the cattle that are, that are making noise? After all, you were called upon to completely destroy Amalek and everything that belonged to them. Shaul now responds, Yes, they have brought these things from the Amalekites, but the people had compassion on the best of the sheep and the best of the cattle in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. Everything else we destroyed. So in this verse, Shaul provides two reasons why it's not his fault. Number one, he says, the people had compassion. Whereas earlier we read, It was Shaul and the people that had compassion, and he is, of course, the king. And number two, Shaul now makes the highly, highly unlikely claim that the reason why the people spared the best of the animals was to offer sacrifice to God. Shemuel will have none of it. Shemuel responds very harshly, let me tell you what God shared with me this night. This is what he said, if you are small in your sight, Shaul, you are actually the head of the tribes of Israel and God has made you king over Israel, his people. Which is to say, Shemuel tells Shaul, you may have felt small and incapable you may have not had the confidence to rein in the people, but that is your job as the king of Israel. I told you to destroy Amalek and you refused to listen. Shaul now has a chance to say that he made a mistake, but he refuses to acknowledge his role. I listened to the word of God, he says. I followed the the way that God told me to go. I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, back. I destroyed Amalek completely. The people took from the spoils once again. Shaul emphasizes that it was the people who are responsible, and they did so to offer sacrifice. Shemuel responds caustically. Does God desire burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he desires hearkening to his word? Listening to God is preferable to sacrifice. To hearken is better than the fat of rams. Shemuel basically enunciates what will become a very important theme in the prophetic texts, which is, that sacrifice is only a vehicle for the service of God. If sacrifice is devoid of sincerity, if it is emptied of its true devotion to God, if it is simply an empty ritual, then it is, then it is actually worthless. How can you say, Shaul, that you have spared those animals to offer sacrifice to God, when sparing those animals was in direct contrast to God's command. Shaul says, finally, for the first time, this is already the fourth step of the conversation, I have sinned, I have transgressed, because I feared the people, and I listened to them. But pardon my sin, and return with me so that I might worship God. So even as Shaul finally takes responsibility in the very same breath, he demands atonement. As if it's that simple, as if if it's that easy, Shemuel says, I will not come back with you to bow before God because you rejected the word of God and he has rejected you as king over Israel. Shemuel now turns and Shaul Again, this is a disagreement among the commentaries, but the simplest reading is Shaul now reaches out. In order to hold Shemuel back before he leaves, he grasps Shemuel's cloak and it tears. And this will become a potent symbol. God has torn the kingdom away from you, says Shemuel in verse number 28. Of course, a garment, a mantle is a highly symbolic thing in the Hebrew Bible. Joseph and his multicolored coat ultimately will be a symbol for his rulership over the brothers. And we can't go into the details now, but the tearing of the mantle therefore indicates the tearing of the kingdom from Shaul's grasp. Shaul says, I have sinned. Honor me before the elders and before the people of Israel return with me and bow down to the Lord your God, and Shimuel now does so. So it's been a very long and drawn-out conversation. It has taken Shaul multiple steps to admit his rule and to take responsibility. And that, of course, is something that we have seen that has colored his relationship with Shemuel from the very beginning, and it now emerges as his undoing. People in positions of leadership have to take responsibility for their mistakes. And even the rest of us who may not be leaders have to take responsibility for our mistakes. That's one of the greatest of life's lessons. And ultimately, it will be the end of Shaul's kingdom, tragically. But nevertheless, we will learn from this something terribly important and significant. The chapter ends with Shemuel personally hewing Agag, the king of Amalek, to pieces. And he says why that punishment is fitting. Just as your sword made women childless, he says to Agag, so too your mother will now be childless from you, which is to say... This isn't for naught. Agag has spent a lifetime killing the innocent and pillaging and stealing. And Shemuel says, now that has come back ultimately to serve as your just desserts. Another classic biblical theme, what goes around will ultimately come around. Shemuel now leaves and he goes to his home in Ramah and Shaul will go to his house in Givat Shaul, and the chapter will end with a note of mourning. Shmuel mourned Shaul, and God regretted that he had made Shaul king over Israel. So sadly, the chapters associated with Shaul's successes are short, and now officially, at least, Shaul has been rejected as the king of Israel, although, as we shall see, he has absolutely no intention of vacating the position. Thank you again for listening to Crises and Kings with Rabbi Michael Hatton, a production of North America in partnership with the Quarren Podcast Network. If you like what you just heard, please give a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.